Welcome, one and all, to the Death-Defying Human Flycast. My name is Max Romero, and I'll be your host on this one-of-a-kind journey into the world of the superhero stuntman called the Human Fly. The wildest superhero ever, because he was real. Today, we're joined by a very special guest here for the first two-time appearance by a guest to talk about the second half of a two-part Human Fly story. It's your friend and mine, Mr. Rob Kelly. Thanks for coming back to wrap up what is, I think it's safe to say, an incredible story, Rob. It is safe to say. It is an incredible story, Max. And yeah, this is exciting. I haven't talked about the human fly in over a month. So this is really cool. I, I feel very honored that I am your first uh, two-part uh, guest. And uh, you know, maybe depending on what people re- how people react, I might be your last two-part guest. We'll have to find out in the comments. I, I doubt that. I doubt that. The okay, Rob, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up where we left off. I when we ended the last show, I asked you. I didn't ask you. I I warned you, <laughs> let's say, uh, that this story was going to get crazier. Mm. Is that was that accurate? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's there's one there's one page in this story that I yeah yeah <laughs> we'll get to it. Yeah, this story does get crazy. <laughs> it it is. I I I struggled. I mean, I didn't want to describe too much to you last time, obviously, but. I, I struggled with even how to begin <laughs> to to describe what was happening here. Uh, there is a big reveal that actually hope happens like kind of on the first page. There is an incredible fight scene. I, I fight. I don't know if fight scene even encompasses what happens in, in the story at some point. And an ending that makes you kind of go like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So we'll just we'll just get right into it. As I mentioned, this is the conclusion to a two-part story. Uh, just for the people who might not uh, remember or who are just coming to this episode, uh, when we left off, the human fly was a prisoner of Mr. Martinet, uh, a crooked financier in a yellow and green costume, who has kidnapped Lexi, the young daughter of the richest man in the state, David Dreyer. Dreyer recruited the fly after hearing about his heroic deeds and also to keep the authorities out of it as instructed. For his part, the human fly accepted for Lexi's sake, knowing she is suffering from the effects of polio. After climbing up a sheer cliff to get to the bad guy's mountaintop lair, fighting robot condors and central casting thugs along the way, the fly now finds himself in the clutches of the inexplicable Mr. Martinet. Rob, stretch, kind of clear your mind, take some, you know, take a hit of tea or whatever you might have handy. And, you know, whenever you're ready, go ahead and hit us with the summary. All right. Well, I dropped some acid earlier, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> that that uh, is probably not a bad idea. <laughs> by the way, I really made the amateur's mistake here of agreeing to write the synopsis for uh, this issue. I should have known, having done a lot of these over the years, I'm a professional after all, and, and being a, a blogger before that, that uh, writing synopses of any comic book pre-1990 <laughs> is uh, doing a lot of writing. But But you were like, hey, would you mind writing the synopsis for this? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then, I don't know, two hours into my synopsis, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Why, this thing is longer than the Pickwick papers. Like, what? This, this human fly synopsis has end notes, for Pete's sakes. It's ridiculous. So 
Okay, you know, I mean, you, Max, you really leaned into our friendship to get me to do this. This is like the pretty girl getting the nerd to like write her paper on Shakespeare. Okay, you'll like me then. You know, like I, this is ridiculous. So uh, it, it was, it was a honeypot. I have to, I have to oh, admit that. Oh man! Woo. All right. So, so that said, strap in everybody because I'm going to be talking for a while. Um, yeah. So this is uh, Human Fly number four. It was on sale September sixth. 1977 the story is rocky mountain nightmare uh <laughs> rocky mountain never mind by bill mantlo lee elias rod santiago who denise wall george bell and the editor is archie goodwin so okay uh this issue opens with mr martinet pistol whipping the human fly <laughs> in between <laughs> in between blows martinet explains that the man who hired the human fly dryer is the one trying to kidnap the young polio afflicted girl alexandra uh, his daughter, as uh, the human fly lose consciousness, he wonders if he's been duped. Two of the human flies team, Ted and Blaze, fly over Martinet's mountain castle and grow worried that they haven't heard from their boss. Meanwhile, at Stately Dryer Mansion, Arnie and Mrs. White find themselves suddenly prisoners of Dryer, who explains that he and Martinet are both weapons manufacturers, each trying to put the other out of business. Dryer has decided to escalate the fight by hiring the human fly and telling him a sob story, hopefully distracting Martinet while Dryer attacks his mountain fortress with an army of tanks. The human fly manages to escape two of Martinet's goons as they drag him through the catacombs deep inside the mountain. Or does he? Turns out this is all the setup, with Martinet hoping the human fly would try something like this and run away. But the human fly doesn't know is that waiting for him are two man-eating cougars. The human fly manages to uh, fight them off, knocking one of them on the head with his baton so that it falls off a cliff to its death. Overhead, the human fly sees Martinet piloting a hovercraft, firing bullets at Dryer, piloting a tank. Both men scream at one another about Alexandra, whose cries go unheeded. Ted and Blaze spot the human fly emerging from the cave and lower a rope ladder down to him. The battle gets bigger, involving now dozens of armed men, tanks, other Martinet flying ships, and even some more robot condors. It's a full-fledged battle royale with the sound of artillery drowning out the pleas of Alexandra for the violence to stop. The human fly leads atop one of the robot condors, smashing it into Martinet's hovercraft, which causes it to crash. As Martinet and Dreyer continue shooting at one another, the human fly gets Alexandra to safety. It's here that the little girl reveals that, in a way, both men are her father and stepfather. When Alexandra's mother died, both men, who had been locked in a deadly competition to see who Alexandra's mother really loved, simply transferred that competition onto her, Elfie. The ground suddenly gives way, and Alexandra slides off the cliff. The human fly catches her with both Dryer and Martinet finally pausing their fight to look after her. Ted and Blaze land, and the human fly picks up Alexandra, ready to take her to a hospital. Dryer and Martinet, ashamed, stand down as the human fly promises that they will, they will provide their daughter the best care money can buy. <laughs> you, you need a break, Rob? You need a. I think, you know... yeah, let's take a break. Okay, let's we're, take... we're going to take a quick promo break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to. We're, we're gonna we're gonna try and put this all together. <laughs> Space, the final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast "Give Me That Star Trek." Its ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Star Trek, 
a new episode every month only at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes. from Supermates Recordings. Chilling sounds from the house of Frankenstein. The blood-curdling sounds of horror in one four-episode set. Featuring your favorite stars from classic spooky films. Lon Chaney Jr. and Bella Lugosi. Your father was Frankenstein. That your mother was the lightning. Peter Cushing and Stephanie Beecham. The night has over. And Christopher Lee. I have returned to destroy you. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. I'm gonna haunt him. That's what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. Heather Langenkamp and Johnny Depp. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. And Robert England. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Here's more. The hit House of Frankenstein theme by Terry O'Malley. Order now and you'll receive bonus comic stories featuring your favorite superheroes versus fiendish monsters. Offer ends October 31st, and it's not available in any store. Here's how to order. To order the chilling sounds from the House of Frankenstein, save all credit card and COD charges by visiting fireandwaterpodcast.com or search for Fire and Water Podcast Network or Supermates. Podcatchers are standing by. And we're back. Uh, welcome back to the Human Flycast. Uh, Rob, you you really took a hit for the team there. <laughs> that, I feel like I've been hit on the head with a baton. That's how I feel after writing this. We, you know, you should be so lucky. That was that was a very complete summary of the of the story. I still left stuff out too. I was going to say, but there is so much <laughs> to dig into here because it is all crazy. But let's let's start with the cover. What did you think of this cover? Uh, the covers by what is it? Dave Co- oh Sal Buscema, Sal Buscema and Terry Austin. Uh, yeah. the ringer there. Um, it's good. It's it, it's it's actually if you can believe it in a flip uh, in an inverse of what Marvel normally does. The cover is actually much more sedate than what goes on <laughs> in the inside of the comic book. There is a page in this comic featuring. Again, we'll get to it. So many things going on. It's unbelievable. This this cover actually makes the book look. A little quieter than what actually happened but it's it's not bad i mean it's it's well drawn and i like that uh, you know it literally says crossfire and we see human fly and the and alexandra as he's uh, escorting her away but man it doesn't even hint at the level of craziness that we're going to get to in the story things start out crazy and quickly ramp up to levels that as you know as a lifelong comic book reader almost had me going oh come on <laughs> it was- there is not a robot condor to be seen on this cover no, no, not a not a hovercraft. I mean, there's a helicopter there, but that's just so uh, everyday. But yeah, the the cover I like it because I think I like all the human flight covers actually. But this is probably one of my least favorites, just because some of the art seems a little strange. And I know because Busema was obviously going for uh, a variety, and it is a dynamic cover. It's a very dynamic. All these covers are very dynamic. You know, he's kind of going for an angle here because it's it's the fly holding on to a rope attached to a helicopter in the distance. He's holding on to Lexi with one arm. There are, I don't even know how many <laughs> uh, tracer bullets crisscrossing across him and Lexi from shots that are being fired by two different groups of gunmen, uh, one on a hill cliff and one lower down on a on a tower of the the headquarters. You know, there's a lot going on. 
but at the same time, like the, the legs to me seem a little foreshortened. I don't know if, if that's just me. The, the left arm, the one he's holding with Lexi, doesn't seem to quite match up. It's a good cover, but I also kind of feel like maybe not as much attention was put into it. Uh, and I don't know if that's just me or if I'm just looking for things to nitpick at. And I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you're the artist. Well, oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, far, far be it for me to criticize the great Sal Buscema. Um, I think he just he assi- he assigned himself <laughs> he assigned himself a really difficult task because you if you do um, the uh, the vanishing points for this cover, mm-hmm. which is how you you know do perspective, you figure out where the vanishing point is, and then all the angles kind of follow that. There's like four vanishing points on this cover <laughs> because yeah. you've kind of got you're sort of above the one um, you're you're above the the parapet of the castle, but then you're all you're then you're below the cliff, but you're kind of off to the slight right of human flies every seat in the distance so yeah there is so many angles going on here that it's bound to look a little wonky mm-hmm. and it does look a little wonky but that's just because again Busema really gave himself a difficult task to come up with yeah. so many angles uh so so yeah i don't think it's you know like the best human fly cover so far like i mentioned last episode i'm i'm not reading ahead i'm just doing it one at a time so I'm I will be seeing these other covers kind of as you get to them. Um, but it's a it's fine. I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not as good as some of the other ones. And part of it is that the cover takes place at night, which of course right. that doesn't happen in this story. The story takes place during the day. And I was actually going to mention that too. I kind of like the use of the negative space here because most of it is just set up against a black background. But I think that works really well because the 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 human fly logo, uh, the title really kind of pops off the page. The human fly himself does. You can see all the tracer fire, which I can understand. It's probably it's probably harder to do if you're doing a daylight, uh, lighter background sort of thing. And like I said, I mean, this is probably not my favorite cover, but it's still a hell of a cover. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. It's still really good. Busema really does a good job of leading the, the reader's eye to different parts of the page. Because there's a lot of things going on here. The tracer fire goes back to the gunmen. The human fly is looking up at the helicopter, which he's holding on to. His foot goes down to the soldiers on the parapet. I bagged on it a little bit in the beginning. But, you know, you can tell that the person who did this knows what they're doing. But like you said, maybe it was uh, maybe overly ambitious. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But I mean, it's not like I could do this. Not like I could draw anything like this. So, you know. Yeah. So like, shut I up, Romero. What do you know? Yeah, you, exactly, you know, what, what, you know, what do I know? I don't know. He's, 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 he's a legend. What do I know? <laughs> but did you notice something missing from this cover? Uh, well, he doesn't have a, the human fly doesn't have his cape uh, yeah. or his baton, that unfortunately. But, you know, okay, we'll just save that for, for, <laughs> for later. Well, it's also the only cover that not to have the wildest superhero ever because he's really. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I missed. Oh, yeah. I think. Well, I think they were already starting to move away from that a little. <laughs> well, it's actually on every other cover after this. This is the. Oh, only is it really? Cover. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Huh. This, this is the only one that doesn't have it. So let's get into the story. the The human fly, as you mentioned, you know, it opens with him being pistol whipped by Mister Martinet, who is still in his costume. By the way, I don't think he gets out of his. We don't see his actual face till the very end of the story. He takes a beating in these first couple of pages. He sure does. My God, I I think he gets pistol up to what maybe three or four times before he goes down, and yeah, one of the one of the characters, one of the goons, says, "Right, Mister Martinet, geez, this guy had a head like a rock," <laughs> and and it's I guess that steel skeleton came in handy. 
Yeah, he gets hit on the splash page and then again on panel two of page one. Then he gets hit with a rifle butt at the bottom of the page. Then he gets hit again on the next page. I mean, good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> they finally knock him out, but he kind of shrugs it off for the most part. He's lucky that he remembers anything when he wakes up. Like, wait, who am I? What am I doing here? What, is this? what, what am I doing in this costume? What's this baton for? I don't know. <laughs> What did you think of the reveal being on the very first page that Lexi is the is the daughter of both of them? Well, I didn't necessarily know if I believe that, uh, hmm. but but I thought, okay, cool, like it's you know an extra bit of you know like a like a turnaround, like oh, okay, the, the 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 guy that hired Human Fly may be lying to him, and I like that. That's what the Human Fly sort of thinks as he gets knocked out of a knocked out, you know, where he's like. Jeez, have I been duped? And then, oh, so, you know, again, Manlo, man, cramming a ton of plot into 17 pages. Even for a comic of this era, this is a lot of story. <laughs> it, it's a little, there's a lot going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I really kind of appreciated that. And I don't know if it is a matter of the comics that I grew up on. I'll admit I'm one of those people who kind of feels that comics, many comics now don't give you as much story. In, in a single issue that they used to. Oh, uh, Lord, no. This is about four issues worth of story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think it's a detriment, obviously, but it is definitely a different way to read comics. I think just because for the most part, they had to feel that comics were one and done all the time. I mean, not really, mm-hmm. because they had continued stories, but they're just, I mean, there there wasn't, there weren't trade paperbacks. So people weren't writing to collect stories. And so I think every issue every writer felt like it had to have some sort of a beginning, middle and end. And so when you, ha- when you have to write beats like that, you got to cram a lot in. Um, by the way, I did want to mention just, and you know, you're not the only, you know, old man on this podcast. Uh, I appreciated the cover. I love covers that feature something having to do with the story. I feel like all comics now are superhero comics are just poster covers. They're mm-hmm. all just poster covers. I like that. This is what you're going to get on the inside. I sort of missed that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. So I another thing that I liked was that the fly uh, is famous enough apparently that Mr. Martinet recognizes him. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a part in the story where he goes, "Oh, it's this it's that daredevil." You know, I like the idea that the fly is so famous that this guy who is going squirrely on the top of a mountain knows who he is. Yeah, you, you, you can't escape the human fly. Yeah, there were only three TV channels back then. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why, maybe that's why he kidnapped Lexi. He needed someone to change the channels. Yeah, right. And Mr. Martinet couldn't spend all his time just watching, you know, Shudder or something. He had to, <laughs> he had ABC or CBS or NBC on and the human fly was on the news. <laughs> you know, and something else, this is uh, going back to when we talked about the previous issue. I like that Mantlo kept up the characterization of the goons. Yes, he one, did. <laughs> well, you know, because they, they still talk like the Bowery boys. And one of them, one of my favorite lines in this issue is actually, it must have been this guy what scragged your condor, boss. You know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is just, I'm glad that Mantlo was paying attention and this wasn't just something he was uh, tossing off, you know, to amuse himself. He was actually remembering that these guys, I guess, were all pulled off, <laughs> you know, out of Queens or something. A line that could only be said in very specific context. That's the guy that stole your condor, boss. Like that really wouldn't work in virtually any other form of entertainment except like a Marvel comic in the seventies. Is that there's a boss who has a condor that could be stolen by somebody, right. and the goon is commenting on it. By the way, I love 
in the the next sequence where uh the the two friends of the human flag uh, miss white and arnie are in dryer's uh dryer's you know stately manner and i love that uh, arnie gets hit in the head with the back of a gun he gets headbutted <laughs> yeah. too he's like man that's really your guys move it's just hitting people in the back of the head with the gun it's like it's like will you stop doing that <laughs> they've spent a lot of time training in but they only learned one thing <laughs> yeah can we fire these boss no 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 use the butt that's use the butt. Oh, okay why do you think I didn't even give you ammunition? Just, just yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not wasting money on ammunition. Just hit him with the butt of the guy. All right, okay, boss. That's you. <laughs> You're Mister Martinet. What a, who am I to? I would love to hear like an audio version of this because I assume everyone just kind of goes, "Bye, all right, boss." <laughs> oh, you much like last episode where I said there needed to be a human fly Mego doll. There needed to be a human fly power record. <laughs> oh my been, gosh, that would beep, be something. You know, hey, hey there, human fly. Beep. That would have been great so cool so in the last episode you actually mentioned that you kind of liked that the fly's crew was was sidelined a bit so that it focused more on the fly the entire crew harmony and arnie and and uh blaze and you know everyone got more to do this time around what what did you think of that oh that was fine i mean i I, it's good that they finally come in to the story as as he sort of you know gets uh get the the uh, dryer gets the drop on him and stuff so no it was it was perfectly fine i thought it was you know it, it was i i think as i said in the previous episode the human fly is i think it's a really tough character to write because you so much of him is unknown uh i mean you know we talked about that yeah he's got a mask on and other characters have masks spider-man has a mask but we get to see spider-man as peter parker but we don't get that for the human fly so to me every moment that you get to spend with the human fly by himself is or maybe not by himself but like that centers on him to me helps the story because you're really trying to figure out who this guy is you never see his face mm-hmm. and that's that's hard i think that's hard to to character uh, to to write as a character so anytime where he's getting more to do i think it's it works well for the character did you see anything that made you more interested in the backgrounds of the crew itself um or is not, that still early days yeah not particularly they're they're fairly indistinguishable uh for the most part but that's it's fine like i said there's it's nothing wrong with it um but yeah i didn't I, there wasn't any scene where i was like oh that's a particularly interesting development of these characters again i still this thing moves at such a breathless pace <laughs> and it and it allows the human fly to like not be on top of everything which is i thought i thought was kind of cool especially for the fourth issue of your series but man manlo just again we said this you know last issue manlo just crams in so many beats to this thing I mean, there's cougars and there's the robot, the robot condors come back. And like, there's just one turn after the next that uh, the, the stuff with the, the side characters was fine. But I was like, get back to the human fly running around this secret base. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, the condors, it's kind of, those are Chekhov's condors. You, you, you show them once you gotta, you gotta keep, you gotta keep them around. You build a robot condor in the first act, gotta fly in the third (laughs) act. Everybody knows. Exactly. You know, speaking of that, speaking of all the things that are going on in the the story itself, I think uh, Lexi kind of speaks for all of us on page 11. There's a a panel where she's talking to uh, Mr. Martinet and she says, Father, I I don't understand. All these men, the guns, the uniform (laughs) you're wearing, what is happening? (laughs) I I think that is pretty much a coda for this issue and probably this series. But as we mentioned earlier, Mr. Martinet does not take off that uniform until the very end, even after he's kind of kidnapped Lexi. And Lexi seems to be 
surprised, I guess, by the uniform, but not that surprised. <laughs> no, yeah. Wonder, you know, has, yeah. has Mitch Martinet been swanning around in this thing for a while? So, then, you know, or what's what's going on with the uniform? Yeah, and the, they don't ever really remark upon why he's wearing it. Mm-mm. Right? I mean, Dreyer no. doesn't have a costume. So why does he have a, like, why is he super villaining it up? I know <laughs> they don't. It's just because it's the Marvel Universe and that's what you do. Yeah, I mean, and they are obviously villains. I mean, they they are arms dealers and probably arms manufacturers, from what I can see. Because these are, like we said, you know, there's super tanks and hover <laughs> hover machines and condors, which I don't know who you're going to sell those to. But okay, good luck. What I think is interesting about Mr. Martinet and Dreyer is that, like a lot of villains and especially a lot of super villains, they think what they are doing is for the right reasons. They they think that what they're doing makes sense at, at least you know to them and and they think it's so obvious that it should make sense to everybody else but the level and i have to think about how i'm going to say this but the level of violence in this comic and kind of the hatred that they show for each other <laughs> which goes so over the top that they don't care about anything else going on around them to the point that for some reason mr martinet actually takes lexi into battle with him <laughs> on his hoverboard on his hover you know craft it is almost disturbing to me it's a kind of just bald hatred and violence that you don't normally see in comics it's such a weird escalation uh of their battle where like they because the dryer talks about that they're 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 weapons manufacturers and they're just trying to outdo each other which i aren't they both successful like why do you need to but okay mm-hmm. whatever but then like why does that escalate into like, well, now I'm just going to get a bunch of tanks and kill him. Like, why right. not? Like, aren't, aren't they like business competitors? Like, why does it need to go to that level to where, I mean, I know that they're competing for Alexander, but it's like, it's just, again, it's a natural evolution of the Marvel universe where, you know, you, you have a, a disagreement with somebody or a business disagreement. So naturally you hire a bunch of goons <laughs> to, to board a bunch of tanks and attack uh, your foe. Meanwhile, he's building a fleet of hovercrafts. You know, like you're just, <laughs> right. Okay. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, of the kingpin, but I don't think even the kingpin went this far. <laughs> no, the he... kingpin. Yeah, <laughs> the kingpin. Well, later on, the kingpin would learn. He would just destroy Daredevil by you know revealing his secret identity, and you know what I mean. Right. Like, he'd be much more subtle about it as opposed to <laughs> building a giant robot condor. I'm going to keep saying that. During yeah. the length of the seventy, yeah. what other show am I ever going to get to say this on <laughs> giant robot condo? And I, I love that Martinette's big plan for letting the human fly wander away is that he's like, you know, watch this, and he's going <laughs> right. to stick the cougars on him, which is like really not the most foolproof plan in the world. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you could just like, okay, he he tells the good like the goons let the human fly get away. The human fly thinks he's getting the drop like. He thinks he's pulling one over on the goon by getting away. And Martinette's like, that's what I wanted. He's you know, basically luring him into this trap. Why? Just hire the goon. Just get the goon. Shoot him. Like, why do you need the cougars? You know, because like, yeah. like, now you've unleashed two cougars running around your, your running property. Around your complex. Yeah. Like, what? Like, what, are the, what is the you, point of this? And, and I kind of get the feeling that these, yeah, I guess they're cougar, uh, cougars or panthers. I'm not sure. But the two goons who, who, um, that the fly escapes from or thinks he's escaping from, you know, they say, Oh, he'll find out soon enough. And yeah, it almost makes me feel, feel sorry for the guy. <laughs> is this not the first time 
that Mr. Martinet has used these cougars? <laughs> I mean, is this is this something that has been done before? Because you know, everyone seems pretty laid back about the whole idea that, that these oh, the man eating cougars be, were yeah. rolling around your mountaintop. But yeah, I know that's true. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, this must be a move that Martin. Like, who else has used this on? Right. Like what? Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's just like what? It very James Bond. I said last <laughs> issue, the whole thing with human fly dressed in the hood is very mm-hmm. James Bond. This is very James Bond too. Is having two man eating cougars, and also I love the little bit of characterization where the human fly to save his own life knocks one of them on the head with his with his baton, right. and that makes the the cougar fall to his death. And he kind of regrets that because yes. he's killing an animal. And I mean, if you know, he's trying to protect his own life, so it's understandable. But it, it is just an it's an animal it's the animal's not really doing anything it's not it's not doing anything wrong exactly you know like doing what its instinct right. is telling you to do so i like that the human fly has that at least that moment of like feeling bad that all right i'm killing this thing as i have to but uh, you know i'm not i'm not uh, relishing it which i i always appreciate that right and i i think um i, I think that really goes to kind of his characterization uh and not just the, the person that he became following the accident and, you know, having this revelation of, you know, the kind of person that he wanted to be and to inspire other people and, and that sort of thing. But apparently, you know, this was already a part of who he was just because I think he mentions that, that he has never killed another living being before. And so, you know, this is the first time he's had to kill anything. And as you said, it was more out of necessity. You know, he's trying to save his own life, not, not necessarily that, oh, you know, hey, I'm going to kill this big cat. It's a nice bit of characterization that he feels regret and enough regret that he actually pauses to say sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> as to, to the to the animal as it's falling off the cliff. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, you don't see that very often. You don't see, I mean, maybe more in, in the comics of this era, because you know, there was a lot more of an inner life for these characters, you know, a lot more thought balloons and, and that sort of thing. The fact that there is this brief moment taken out of this mile a minute story is an interesting choice for me. I, I think it's something Mantlo didn't have to do. And I would I would have loved to have asked him why he made that choice. Yeah, I like it's one of the reasons I always liked Aquaman is because Aquaman was like a friend to the sea life. I, that's always been something that's always been important to me. And so I like characters that have that, uh, you know, that that have that humanity that you know this ain't this animal's not trying to hurt me I mean, well the animal is trying to hurt him but it's it's not the animal's fault so i i like that and lexi is is basically the, the linchpin in this whole story because she was let me see if i can get this right she is the daughter of mr martinet and his wife who divorced martinet to marry dreyer who is lexi's now stepfather and then she died but she left Martinet because Martinet was already getting kind of obsessive mm-hmm. and then basically married the same kind of guy again when she married Dreyer. Uh, but she died uh, and now is basically being pulled between these two nutcases. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and that's that in itself is, is an interesting angle to take. I did a little research and divorce at, at this time was a, a hot topic in the United States and in pop culture in, in general, the divorce rate was growing already in the sixties, but especially in the seventies and the eighties, uh, in 1970, the divorce rate was 3.5 couples per 1000. 
1979, a year after this comic came out, it was 5.3 divorces in the U.S. per 1,000. Yeah, and it it had, it had been uh, five the year before, in 76 and four in 72. So it was not only growing, but it was growing quickly. You know, and then that was the all-time high rate for divorces in the U.S. It still is. Divorces are actually going down since then. There was uh, the movie An Unmarried Woman in 1978, Kramer versus Kramer in 1979, uh, self-help books and talk shows and, you know, and, and people I remember people asking, you know, well, what about the kids? I like that Mantlo kind of used something that was already in the air to kind of uh, be the through line for what is really a bonker story. Max, if there was some sort of podcasting award uh, <laughs> that you give to someone for finding a way to to mention Jill Clayberg's An Unmarried Woman and Kramer versus Kramer during a human fly podcast, you absolutely deserve one, my friend. I mean, that was that was just amazing that you roped those two things into a show about the human fly. <laughs> I, I mean, the only thing that would have made Kramer versus Kramer better would have been, of course, robot condors. But, <laughs> you know, OK, I mean, I, it's funny. It, it's interesting that four issues in Bill Mantlo has human fly kind of wandering. I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but sort of wandering into someone else's story, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of interesting. That's a that's something that maybe I would say a writer could do with a character two or three years into their series. where you get to know them better, but only you know, three, three issues in and we're kind of, you know, the human fly really doesn't need to be in this story, except of course, when he, when he gets roped into it, but it's, this is a drama between these two nutcases and their, (laughs) their daughter and the human flies is kind of the bystander. It's it's interesting tack for Mantlo to take. You you kind of get the sense that all of this would have happened even if the fly wasn't there. Uh, Like you said, he, he kind of just finds himself in the middle of, of all this trying to not be killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all because he's trying to do something he's, he thought he was helping someone out the the human fly kind of becomes the eye of this crazy hurricane we see that later and in, in the end where he is the only voice of reason because right. yeah yeah and also if it wasn't for him lexi would have gone over that mountain <laughs> you know? oh complete yes martinette wasn't going to save her and and dryer wasn't going to save her they were so caught up in their fight that they didn't uh, see what was happening to this child that they both you know, say they love so much. And that, I think that's what made me, I mean, obviously, because it mentioned divorce, but that's really what made me think about that was because they act like that uh, very easy characterization of, of, of a divorced couple. You know, they're, they're fighting with each other. They hate each other. They're both pulling this kid back and forth between them and not paying any attention to the fallout. Things get so nuts because as you said at, at some point it is full-scale war oh i mean that page 22 of the comic i don't know what page of the story it is but i really hope you post this page on the website mm-hmm. where the where the battle finally just goes completely nuts and you've got this uh you see martinette and the close-up of him and then alexandra she's screaming please and they're not listening and you've got it's like you've got the hovercrafts and the robot condors and the tanks and the goons and a guy on a motorcycle You've got goons riding the robot condors like it is just mayhem mm-hmm. and really beautifully brought to life by Leah La- Lee Elias and Rod S- Santiago. It's re- like I really looked at that. I'm like, what an amazing panel that is of just complete <laughs> and utter insanity. 
and like trillions of dollars being thrown away at this useless fight. It's yeah. really it, remarkable. Just explosions and this this war tank that looks like it has I don't know three levels. I guess I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love the hovercraft too, man. The hovercraft yeah. are really boss. They're really yeah, cool. those are nice. Yeah, <laughs> it is uh, an amazing panel. It is just beyond belief and. You know, part of the story is that Blaze and Ted are going to come flying into the middle of this to rescue <laughs> the the fly, and it you know it's just insanity. It's just, but you know one thing I have to give Martinette credit for also is that for some reason he did not overlook giving the robot condors the ability to go scree. I, yeah, I love that they can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that that Martinette bothered to build in voice boxes for. The robot condors. It's fantastic. Boss, you realize making them cry is going to add another three trillion to the bill. Shut up. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> let me let me ask you, because we keep talking about how crazy the story is. Is it too crazy? Does Is it too complicated? Well, no, 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 no. For 70s Marvel, no, it's not too crazy. <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, it's it's just the escalating nutsiness. I, I think it's well put across that these two guys have gone completely that their their daughter really doesn't mean anything to them. It's she's just a symbol for winning out over the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and I like that. I like that a lot to the point where I mean, again, the guys. One of the guys is why isn't dryer dressing up why is martin that dressing up and dryer not dressing up I, it's confusing but uh yeah i mean it's it's 70s marvel i think if you had done it done this in 1999 you might be like what you know it's getting a little out of hand but in, in this is this is exactly what 70s marvel was all about it's kind of crazy excess mm-hmm. so no i i enjoy i real i i chuckled heartily when i got to that panel <laughs> you're just like wow he they're yeah. just going for it oh yeah manlo does not have an off switch. And I love that about this. I, you know, and as uh, again, that is one thing I love about this series in general is that they're, and they're not all as crazy as this one. This actually might be the craziest, but I kind of get the sense that Mantlo in every issue is challenging himself and trying to top himself with a story that makes sense while at the same time selling the sizzle. Uh, what did you think about the inks by Rod Santiago? I, to me, they felt almost a little heavy. They are very heavy. He's a very heavy inker. I, I was completely unfamiliar with this guy. And so I looked him up on Mike's Amazing World. He only has five credits, three issues of The Human Fly, and I think two Marvel uh, like illustrated novels when they were doing those adaptations, mm-hmm. those you know highbrow adaptations. And that's it. He has no other comic book credits. So I don't know what happened to him, whether he got out of comics or whatever. Yes, it is a very heavy inking style, um, but I like it. I said last uh, last episode that I thought that the Lee Elias had a real um, Milton Kniff uh, look mm-hmm. to his work, which, of course, is a compliment. Because Milton Kniff is one of the best guys ever to do it. Uh, Rod San Diego has a slightly Milton Kniff ink line. Um, mm. uh, and, and so I lo- it is very heavy. And some people, to their eyes, it just doesn't work. But uh, I actually thought it worked kind of well with Leo Lass. I thought it was a nice combination. I thought I thought it made for a, a handsome book. And uh, I, I could see it's a slightly more like adventure newspaper strip style. Again, kind of mm-hmm. going back to Milton Kniff. So I could sort of see why maybe Marvel never, you know, gave him like a big assignment, you know, like, you know, superhero, kind of straightforward superhero sort of thing. But I don't know. I, I kind of liked it. Yeah. No, I can see that. And especially since I think, you know, 
with the exception of Martinette, obviously, because he's still in a mask to the very end. Which, by the way, I'm disappointed that when he does show his face, he is not scarred or grotesque. No, or anything. He's, he's just, just like a regular dude. dude yeah. <laughs> That was that was kind of a letdown. I was kind of hopey there was a reason for the mask, but no, he's just some guy. He's just uh, a weirdo. Just Marvel <laughs> Universe, just a weirdo. Uh, but one thing I noticed with uh, Dreyer is that it was almost like a Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing. He starts becoming more and more grotesque himself as the issue goes, as the story goes on. And in this issue, you know, his, his brows look heavier, his eyes kind of sag, his face mm-hmm. looks, you know, he's snarling almost. In some cases, I feel like Santiago's inks are a little overpowering, but I think it does work in that sense uh, because it really kind of emphasizes the melodrama of the story itself. Yeah, I I think it's another fairly solid issue. You are never going to hear me say that I don't like an issue. I'm going to tell listeners that right now. (laughs) I am in love with this series. Like anyone in love, I see no faults. Uh, <laughs> but I had mentioned also, you know, I asked you if I if it was if you felt like the story was too much, if there was too much going on. Uh, and I was wondering that as I was until I got maybe to the middle of the story, and there's a a piece of dialogue from the fly who says, "Mad as it sounds, there's going to be a war in the Rocky Mountains between two insane millionaires." <laughs> and I thought maybe this isn't that far-fetched yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe this is in the realm of possibility you know? i think we're headed there yeah i mean it's at a certain <laughs> point like you remove the daughter part and i could see like jeff bezos and elon musk doing this <laughs> totally could in space that's not yeah. the only they're bored space. they're just bored and they have all the money to ever spend and so Let's make robot tanks and fight and robot condors and fight each other because we can. <laughs> because right, we can. Great. Yep. So what, what did you think of the story overall, Rob? I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I did think the ending was a little bit underbaked in that like, like the human flies, like YouTube are going to pay for her hospital bills and like they hang their head in shame and I'm like, that's it. They're not going to get more punished than that. Like they kind of like, yeah. they like started a war like you know what i mean then they're both kind of like oh we're sorry you know it's a little like <laughs> don't they need to be carted off to prison human fly like that seems a little that was but right. overall yeah i mean yeah. you know but overall i liked it quite a bit i again i i thought it was inventive that the human flies kind of you know moved into somebody else's drama i thought it was fun involving crazy and all the best kind of 70s marvel way so i i enjoyed both issues quite a bit yeah. And uh, yeah, I know what you mean about the ending. It's, it is, I hate to use the word anticlimactic, but it kind of is. And, you know, in a, in a, in a way, unless, you know, Lexi revealed herself to be a robot condor herself, there was no <laughs> way that any ending was going to uh, live up to everything that has happened so far. I wonder what the goons are going to do. Are they just going to like walk past each other in a line saying, good game, good game? Or <laughs> they're going to freelance headbutt people, you know? Like it's their, hey, Dr. Doom, you need anybody headbutted? No? All right. Okay. That's fine. What about the vulture? I think he seems kind of like that level. Because <laughs> we, we have we have experience with things with wings. We can, we can do this. Yeah. And maybe, maybe the kingpin will hire us. I don't know. <laughs> Man, I want a whole comic just of those guys. Yeah. Oh man, that would be yes. That would be really fun. Just the, what do these goons do when they go back to like, unemployment or something? You're like, did you try and headbutt anybody today? No, I didn't. I, I, <laughs> Let me see the butt of your rifle. Let me see that. Yeah, that yeah is, exactly. That, looks, that doesn't look like you've been using it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> man. This is another issue, of course, with 
letters to the comic flypapers. Did mm-hmm. you have a chance to to go through those? I did, and I it was so funny. There's the one letter about um, I forget the name of it, but there's the one the, the name of the the letter writer. I have it here in front of me, but uh, the one there's one letter writer who's like, please, please, please make the human fly into a superhero. Yes. which is the exact opposite of what that other guy asked for in the previous issue. And it, t- it totally reminds me of that, that episode of the Simpsons where they were like test marketing itchy and scratchy. And it was like, Hey kids, do you want itchy and scratchy to take on real world problems like you face every day? Yay. <laughs> or do you want them to go into in- outer space and meet wizards? Yay. You know, it's just like, you can't, there's no way. So it's like, I could see Marvel just being like, oh, we don't know what the hell what people want. You know, and so they're going to lean into making him more of a superhero, which is exactly basically what happened. But but yeah, two different letters across two different issues asking for diametrically opposite things. Yeah, that was Joseph Iannacone, I guess, a uh, Philadelphia PA, a neighbor of yours. Yeah. yeah, Uh, So, yeah, he's uh, there was a letter from Brian Nelson of Rockville, Maryland. And I thought that was an interesting letter just because it shows us that cranky fans are not a new thing. No. (laughs) People people who want to spend a lot of energy writing in to tell you how they don't like what you've done. Uh, Because, you know, he he goes on about issue two saying, you know, that uh, he, he liked it so much because it shows a real person in a real situation. And I don't really know what mr nelson is talking about because did he somehow miss ghostwriter in that whole in, in that issue yeah. you know did he did he miss the sliding bridge and you know all that as as it is today that that, that kind of attitude is still inexplicable to me except for the part where the guy who rides a motorcycle and is possessed by a demon i thought the story was very realistic pretty grounded okay. i thought yeah grounded super <laughs> great thank you <laughs> And finally, there was a letter from Paul Chiasen of Cape Breton, North uh, Nova Scotia, Canada, who was dealing with cerebral palsy. He had a girlfriend who also had cerebral palsy, and he uh, appreciated that there was uh, a character who was trying to serve as an inspiration for people with different physical abilities. Uh, but one thing that I really latched onto in that letter was that he mentioned recognizing the human fly from an appearance on a Canadian talk show called 90 Minutes Live. Now, that is a show, since I'm not Canadian, <laughs> that I have never heard of before. Had, had you ever heard of that show, Rob? No, no, I've never had. There is actually a clip from that appearance. And uh, I sent that to you. And I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But what did you think of the fly's appearance on live TV? I, it's, <laughs> it's so weird to see uh, an actual person in the costume. Sta- like... It, it, who really looks like he would rather be somewhere drinking a beer than, than being on this TV show. I, it's so, it, I mean, the co- it, it really shows like it, just the development of like costumes of what, you know, we see we're, we're inundated with superhero costumes now, which look really cool, but everything looks so sort of Jerry rigged back then. <laughs> right, and right. it's just like, it's so fun. It's so weird just to see like a real live action person. Mm-hmm. in this outfit <laughs> i just couldn't get past that you know and one thing i thought was interesting was that the real life human fly kind of had a chip on his shoulder yeah <laughs> <laughs> he, he really i mean oh my god he he just he hates evil knievel for one thing uh he keeps he keeps talking crap about evil knievel and <laughs> and he just he really kind of seems like yeah i'm gonna shoot myself in a rocket over uh you know from here to there and people laugh and he gets he kind of gets you know 
a little pissy about it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that is supposed to be Rick Rojat. But again, there is this theory that there was more than one human fly for appearances. So it's anyone's guess as to who that really is under the mask. But he really seemed to be a little put out that people weren't taking this guy in a red costume covered in rhinestone seriously. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. <laughs> but like I said, I will I will put that clip uh, in the show notes so uh, everyone can take a look at that for themselves. And also, uh, there is another clip out there that uh, where the host is saying that that conversation, that interview took place the day before his, the human flies failed to attempt to jump 36 buses at Olympic stadium in Montreal, <laughs> which is an amazing coincidence. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I'm constantly amazed too, that like that in the, you could get people to show up for these things and pay because like, it's one thing, you know what I mean? Like you're paying all this money to watch this guy do this one thing. And then, mm -hmm. then it's over. It's not like it's a baseball game, which is three hours long. Like you're like, you're sitting in your seat and you're just waiting. Okay. Vroom, vroom, vroom. And then he does it. And you're like, all right, now I guess we go home. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was, the, was there a second act? Was there, did somebody else try to jump something else? I don't think so. Same thing with evil Knievel. Yeah. Like everything was focused. You paid like, you know, like seven fifty or whatever the ticket price was to see essentially like a five minute act. Like what a weird. <laughs> well, I am going to point out that it was disco night. Gloria uh, Gaynor was Gloria okay. Gaynor was coming on stage after this <laughs> disaster. That's a hell of a show. That's a <laughs> hell of a show. Wouldn't you be like halfway through Gloria Gaynor said, just kind of wondering, but but seriously, is that guy okay? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't she sing I Will Survive? Wasn't that her? <laughs> yeah, that it's was kind her. of thematically perfect, really. <laughs> so Rob, I asked you this before. I asked you in this in, in the last episode, and I'm gonna ask you again since you've you finished up this two-part story. Does reading this issue make you want to read more? Yeah, I do. Yes. I mean, part of it is your show, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, absolutely. Like it's a fun, I said this last month, it's a fun, weird corner of the Marvel universe. And you can't have all, you can't have all your books be like this. Um, but it's a, it's just, it's a nice little like, oh, this is this kind of weird, sort of off brand thing going on. And you need that for if you're coming up with a publishing line of of comics and so i appreciate that it's 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 a fun little diversion it, like i said this was not a book that i bought at all when i was a kid mm -hmm. uh, i didn't see it a whole lot i mean maybe i, w I probably wouldn't have bought it anyway because i again i only had you know i was going to buy my regular titles but you need books like this to kind of you know fill out the line a little so yeah i, I i've been enjoying every every issue so far they're they're very kind of guileless Mm -hmm. uh, in their own way. They're just like, they're just trying to entertain you and maybe give you a dollop of significance one way or the other about, you know, some human interesting, which is again, the, you know, the whole thing about the, you, you imagine bring it into, you know, reference Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, but I mean, yeah, that was going on in, in the world. And so there is a little bit of that amid all the craziness and that's mm -hmm. sort of, you know, that's, that's what some of the better writers did. They didn't, it wasn't all crazy where you were completely unrelatable, but at the same time, it had enough razzmatazz to keep you involved. Again, there's a guy in a hovercraft and all kinds of, right. you know, and there's cougars and, those, you know, I mean, it's just I, I'm dying to see what happens next in the next <laughs> issue of, of Human Fly. I feel sorry for the poor bastard who's your guest <laughs> next month because I don't know. I mean, first of all, they're following me. So right there, 
just yeah, yeah, doomed. It's, it's, yeah. Second it's, of all, this is like, I. How does Mantlo get crazier than this? <laughs> Four issues in, I don't know where he's got to go for the next fifteen issues of Human Fly. Right. Yeah, and that's that's a good point. There are still fifteen issues <laughs> yeah. of this comic, and it does not let up, which I I truly truly appreciate. Rob, is there anything else that you want to say about this comic? <laughs> I think we've spent. Is there anything you could possibly say about it? We have now spent two hours talking about the human fly over two (laughs) two issues. I think I've done my 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 due diligence, man. (laughs) Okay, then why why don't you tell the people where they can find you? No. Yes. Come on. on. I'm all over the. I'm all over the network. You all know. I, I, I. Yes, we. I do a bunch of shows. For, for the Fire and Water Podcast Network, which is the network of which you're listening to this fine show right now. And you can you can find me uh, virtually uh, any day except like Tuesdays. <laughs> you're going to be one of my shows probably. <laughs> well, they're lucky if they do, Rob. Thank you. Again, Rob, thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. I told you before I really wanted this show to exist, and I'm glad that it does. It's just uh, <laughs> I, I think this is going to be a, a when it's all completed, it's going to be a marvelous little finished piece of 19 <laughs> podcasts. If that's if you end up doing just 19, I don't know if you're going to do like a wrap up or whatever. Right. But uh, but but, uh, you know, and who knows, like maybe the human fly will hear this. And he'll want to do the show. And then you do wrap it up with like your 20th episode with the interview with Mr. Rojack himself or something. If he is out there or anyone who ever knew him, related to him, served him a cup of coffee and they hear this, please let me know. (laughs) How did he even drink coffee? Did he have like a slit in the mask? How did he (laughs) did it? (laughs) Just just another one of those, uh, you know, unexplained things about the human fly. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Rob. And thank you to our listeners. The Death Defying Human Flycast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you would like to subscribe or leave a comment for the Human Flycast, you can do that here on our website at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. You can also find the Human Flycast on Twitter at Human Flycast, and be sure to follow and tag the network with hashtag FWPodcast. You can also reach me at humanflycast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts, where you can make a one-time or monthly contribution and unlock various rewards, including getting name-checked on this or any network show of your choice. Support the network and reap the rewards. And remember, the wildest superheroes are real.